morning. Welcome to the, I don't know, last day of winter, first day of spring. Uh, glad to be with you here this morning. Grateful for those of you watching online as well. And we are starting a series, that video helped introduce it. Uh, just a short series, three-week series, titled Giving God's Way. What's it about? What does the Bible say about money and discipleship? And you might expand it beyond money. We will in this week. In other words, our resources, which includes your time. That's a resource, perhaps more valuable uh, than your money and your talents, <clears throat> investing them. But what does the Bible say about money and discipleship? Jesus said these words. You've heard these before. Maybe you didn't know Jesus said them, but um, in recorded in the New Testament. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, when Jesus said those words, it wasn't a statement about what he hoped to be true, like something, I don't know, your, your grandmother would say or your mother would say or your, you know, your coach would say or you know, at this season in your life. You know, it is more blessed to give than receive. In other words, I kind of hope that's true. It's not a statement about what he hoped would be true. It's a statement, a fundamental statement about reality. When Jesus said that. It's a fundamental statement about human life. But it's a truth. It is more blessed to give than receive. It's a truth that flies in the face, of course, in the voice of our culture. Our culture wouldn't say that. And even often the voice in my own heart, in your own heart, which tells you, even though Jesus says, human nature, reality as God has designed it, it is actually more blessed to give of yourself, give of your time, give of your money, to expend than to take in... That's not the message of our community. That's not the message of our culture, I should say. And it's often not the message that I give myself in a world that's all about accumulating more things. Yet time and again, if you think about it, that's what I want to itch, scratch, uh, I want to itch this morning. Time and again, if you think about it, this truth, it is more blessed to give than to receive, is confirmed not only in our own experience when sometimes we do this in small and medium and big ways, but even in the people that we most, let's say, um, admire and the people that we're most drawn to. In other words, the stories that we're most drawn to, you know, are often stories where people give themselves in a way for something far greater than themselves. An example, this has probably happened to many of us here, but I was watching, this could have been as many as three weeks ago, but it was a video story, a, a, a journalist on the border of Poland and the Ukraine, and they're talking about what's going on. But they weren't focused on all the people coming out, which there were many, still are, but many then three weeks ago, coming out of the Ukraine, most of them, uh, uh, women and children and, 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 and elderly people coming out of the Ukraine. It was a story about the people lined up to go in to the Ukraine, most of them expats that were in Poland, young people, an overwhelming majority of them were young men, but it also included women who said, I want in, I want to be a part of the civilian army that is taking, uh, that was uh, assembling and still is assembling. And that, I want to say, as I watched that video, uh, many of you did, it totally, I was so inspired first by what these people were doing. I was just so inspired. I just want to stand up just watching this video to think of the courage and the conviction. But I was not only inspired by what uh, they were doing, it also touched something deep inside of me. It reminded me. This wasn't the only, but this was, this was the last example of it. It reminded me that to be, I am most alive 
when I'm connected to, giving myself to, something that's bigger than myself. Okay, it doesn't have to be something as grand as that. But it reminded me, I admired these, the, these people that were doing that. I, was, I had a sense of admiration, but it was more than that. It touched something deep inside of me that reminded me um, that I'm made, I'm most alive, I'm most who God wants me to be, who, who God made a human being to be when I am giving myself to something that is bigger than myself. Jesus' most famous words, or one of the most famous words, often um, you know, misunderstood, the words that Jesus gives concerning discipleship, he says this. I think it's in Luke 9, but in other places. He that finds his life, she that finds her life will lose it. He that f- uh, uh, f- loses his life, she that loses her life for me will find it. Now what does that mean? It's not, a, it's not a call to martyrdom. It's not even a call to, you know, some kind of great sacrifice. It's a fundamental statement about the reality of human nature. Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to live a meaningful life, life is short. Even in the 21st century, maybe, maybe the average age has gone up, you know, 70, 80, 90. Life is short. It's a vapor. If you want your life to matter, if you want to get the most out of your life, then this is what, if you live for yourself, he that finds his life, Translated, he that makes his greatest, she that makes her greatest ambition to satisfy your own desires, to accumulate things for yourself, to make your life about you, you are going to be the most unsatisfied because that's not how you're made. He or she that understands you were made to give your life for something bigger than yourselves, he that loses his life, not talking about suicide or you know throwing your throwing your life away saying he that doesn't make their own focused satisfaction the primary purpose of your life it's about my needs my wants but loses that second makes that secondary to connect themselves to something bigger they're going to find the true meaning of life that's what jesus is saying it's at the heart of what i want to say underlying everything i want to say this week today's a message the first one in this series titled, Giving God Your Best. And I would say that to you that this is the underlying principle, those four words, the underlying principle of everything God wants to say about, what the, Bible's, about the Bible's teaching on money, giving God your best. This is this week. Next week, quick outline, we're going to talk about how the investment of our lives, not just our, let's call it our treasures, but our time, our relationships, um, our talents, how those investments have, can have an impact on the eternal destiny of others. And then the last message is really going to be about joy, that elusive, deep commitment, right? Not happiness, joy, that elusive, deep commitment that we spend, because we're made this way, we spend so much of our lives chasing things and experiences and relationships that we hope will bring us joy that don't, because the secret of joy, okay, it's at the core of the human experience, is found not in getting, but in giving, okay? So that's our outline for this series. We've got a copy of the Bible. Dive in this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me say something about this passage before we read it. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you're a note taker, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is the largest block of teaching in all of the New Testament on giving, okay? The largest block of teaching of the New Testament on giving. But what we're not going to see here is rules for giving, 
Rule one, rule two, law one, law two. It's not rules for giving. This is the new covenant, not the old covenant. What it is is principles. I'm just going to give you a couple today. Principles, but they're born out of a crisis that happened in the early church. Here it is. This is just a setup for this passage. There was a crisis, very well documented in the New Testament. The crisis was this. The mother church, where it all started, the very first congregation of the Christian church, Acts 2, the church of Jerusalem. By Acts 8, all hell breaks loose in a manner of speaking. The church is under great persecution and everyone except the disciples are scattered. It's like a, a mega church. One day it's big, the next day there's nobody there because of persecution. And, and that never changes in the history of the New, as the New Testament goes on. Churches start all other places. And the Apostle Paul spends more than 10 years of his time going around collecting money for the poor saints in Jerusalem. But in this passage, he's challenging the church at Corinth. That's why we're in 2 Corinthians. And he's saying to this congregation that was, you might say Corinth was a relatively wealthy church. You might say Browncroft-like. I don't know. In other words, they were a relatively wealthy church that Paul came to when he was doing this collection. He came to them first because he knew they had means. They said, yes, we're in. They began to give, but then they backed off. In the meantime, as they backed off, now he's going to send a little group to say, make good on your pledge if you want to, if you will. In between that, there was a couple really other poor churches that Paul didn't even bother asking who got in the gift. It's the church at the Thessalonians and the Philippians. And Paul's using them as an example to challenge this church to make good on their commitment. Ready? Let's follow along. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. And now, brothers and sisters... We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, Thessaloniki, the Philippians. In the midst of a very severe trial, whatever that was, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up to rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Jerusalem Church. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, Paul's sort of partner, one of his team, just to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Bible way of saying that you'd make good on your pledge. But since you excel in everything, throwing some compliments out, in faith and peace and knowledge and complete earnestness in the love that you have kindled in the love that we have kindled in you. In other words, you're doing a great job in a lot of areas. See also that you excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you. This is the new covenant, not the old. I am not commanding you, but I want to test important word, the sincerity of your love by first comparing it to the earnestness of others the Philippians and the Thessalonians, but also, of course, to Jesus himself. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The underlying principle of giving, what the Bible says about discipleship, a couple principles. Principle number one from this passage, how do I, uh, Rob, how do I, you become someone who is a greater giver. Yes, of your money, but of your life. How do I become more fully human in that way? Number one, discover a greater love. Discover a greater 
love. That's where it starts. So interesting. It's, it's, it's significant to me, not just to me, but in all the reporting about this collection. See, the New Testament, a lot of the teachings like Jesus' parables, it's not a, you know, question and answer, Socratic method or a, an index. You know, what do I do about this problem? It's narratives, it's stories, it's Jesus' teachings, it's parables. We have to discern the truth. When, everything there is said about giving in the New Testament different from the Old Testament, is not given in a system of laws. It's given principles, mostly, mostly drawn from the, um, let's call it the, 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 uh, the, the collection for the Jerusalem church. There are actually five different places, this is just one, where this collection is talked about. This is the biggest one, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's used in the book of Galatians, in the book of Romans, in the book of 1 Corinthians, and even in the book of Acts. But what's so interesting to me about it is in all of this collection of all these verses about the actual Jerusalem, uh, the poor of Jerusalem, this collection, nothing is said about the specifics of the situation, except in one verse in Romans 15, it says, the poor church in Jerusalem. In other words... There's no sad stories about, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, children that are starving. There's no houses that have been overwhelmed by flood. He doesn't paint any word pictures of the crisis at all in this situation. But clearly Paul knew that. He'd been to Jerusalem. He could have painted word pictures. He could have created a video reel, so to speak, that would have captured your imagination. But he didn't do it. Why? Ask yourself that question. Not a thing is said about this crisis. I think it's intentional. Why? Because however heartbreaking that could be, it would capture your imagination only for so long. Just like yours changes overnight. You're worried about one thing one week, and three weeks later, you're on to something else. So Paul isn't do it that way. Why? Because the focus is not on what needs doing. It's on what God has done. The reason these churches are, 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 have, have gone the extra mile to give, Paul's going to say, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know, now you'd think the rest of that sentence is about how much incredible hardship is going on in Jerusalem. The poor kids, the, the houses that have been overwhelmed, the lost jobs, the emaciated you know, friend. No, he says, I want you to know about the grace God has given to the Macedonians. It's not about what they've given up, but what God has given them. The focus is not on what needs being done. The focus is on what God has done. The real motivation but under every motivation is not what you're going to get. It's not you're getting your name in the paper. It's not getting some kind of approval from God. The motivation is how much God loves you. The word grace is used five times in these nine verses. And it comes to a head in the ninth verse when he not only talks about the churches, he says, he, now he's pointing to Jesus, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For your sake he became poor. Now watch this. Through his poverty, we may become rich. It's the only place I know of in the entire Bible where it talks about Jesus in poverty. Now what in the heck does that mean? I mean, I, nowhere else does it say that Jesus was, you know, was in poverty. And what is Paul talking about? I think he's... he's, he's He's being creative. He's, it's a metaphor and a manner of speaking. What he's, what's he, he's not talking about Jesus, the, 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 the neighborhood that Jesus grew up in Bethlehem, like he grew up in a poor part of town. Of course, he's talking about the fact that Jesus came into the world, in other words, heaven to earth, 
to die for your sins. Why? So that you could experience the forgiveness of sins. You could live a life that's free of guilt and free of shame. Romans 8.1. Listen carefully to these words. This is what Paul's really talking about. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about. It's the discovery of a greater love. You'll never be a great giver of any kind, of your time, of your money, of your talents, until you've discovered a greater love. Until that truly captures your imagination, there is no condemnation to Rob Catalani. Zero. I have been completely freed, not only of guilt, which is the feeling bad for the things I've done, but for shame, which is feeling bad for who I am, which is part of human nature. There is no condemnation. That's what the gospel gives me. That's a greater love. You will never be the kind of giver you need to be until that's not only captured your imagination, but has worked its way down into your heart. Until that's happened, you'll never be the person God has created you to be. I'll never be the person God created me to be. The reason some of us hold on to our money or our time, right, to serve so tightly, why is that reason? Okay? It's, it has to be because of a fear that God is not going to provide for us or meet the deepest needs of our hearts. Even when you talk about material things, the, the reason I want material things or I want X plus Y as a, as a savings, it's not because I'm actually doing anything with that money always or always spending time with that material possession. It's because of the security that those things give me and give you. But when, I, when those things become more important, what we're really saying is it's a fear that God is not going to do what he said he's going to do, which is provide for your deepest needs. Now, there are many people in this church that are very generous givers. But for those of us who are not, I would start right here, okay? It's not about me giving you some slideshow. It's not about me focusing on the greatness of the need. It's saying it's about the discovery of a greater love. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given you in Jesus Christ. Second thing to the heart of this passage. Develop a greater love, live a greater dependence. Quickly, this is a quick study on these concepts. You know the words, if you've been in church, you've heard the word tithes, right? Sometimes the word first fruits. These words, the word tithe or tithes, first fruits, do not appear anywhere at all in the New Testament letters at all. I'll tell you something. Why is that, Rob? Well, because even though we use those words, I'll get to that in a second. Well, it's because is the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, but, here's the big but. The reason we still do use them, you know, when we pray for our offering as a manner of speaking, is because the underlying principles still carry over. This for an example. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That was one of the Ten Commandments. That's the Old Covenant. Is it still true today? Not only is it still true today, Jesus says, let me up it ante a little bit, the Sermon on the Mount. If a man looks at a woman, could go both ways, of course, and has lust in his heart for her, Jesus says, you've already broken the Seventh Commandment. Okay? So the law, I'm not under the law, but the principle still carries over. What is a tithe? All it means is this. It means a tenth part. And in the Old Covenant, it had to do with the amount of the offering. It's simple. You guys get it. You're supposed to give 10% of your income to, to 
um, to the things of God. The first fruits, these went together, had to do with the nature of the offering. Listen very carefully. What's the nature of the offering? In that system, it was an agricultural society. The overwhelming majority of everybody were farmers, right? There weren't skyscrapers. There weren't, you know, you know, factories. Everyone was a farmer. And so it had to do with the nature of the offering. The nature of the offering, how I paid my bill, if you want to call it that, was in grain, was in wine, was in honey, was in wool. Read the Old Testament. The, the, the Pentateuch. That's what I did. But it not only had to do with 10% of that crop, it was off the top. It was the first fruits. Often the beginning of the crop, you know, the first wheat, the first wool, the first honey, it was the best. And God said, I want you to take that even when the rest of the harvest hasn't completed yet. There's still six months of harvest. But before that happens... And who knows if there's going to be storms or, or pests or problems or fires or crimes. Even before all these things don't or do happen in the next several months, I want you to take the best and I want you to bring it. Not only at Mount, which is 10th, but the first fruits. That's the Old Testament giving in a nutshell. Now, you might say when you hear that, as I did when I rethought about it in this study, part of me said, something doesn't sound right about that. You know, like, who's running this show? Why in, 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 in God's name, why would God say, not only do I want a tenth, okay, that seems okay, because it all comes from God, but why do I have to give it to you, give you the best oil and wool and, and wheat, and I have to bring it to you, let's say the harvest, I'm just making this up, I'm not a farmer, goes from, I don't know, April till October. Why do I got to bring it to you the first of May? Why do I have to do that? When I don't know if I'm going to be able to feed my family. I mean, God, are you that stingy? But let me tell you something, friends. When you read the Bible, you need, to, you need to use your mind, right? You need to ask good questions before you make a judgment, right? Uh, uh, you need to think and pray. Listen, let me tell you something about that tithe and the first fruits. God, there's not a single verse in all the Bible that says God came down in the form of a human being and, and put honey in his tea and ate the grain and, you know, and made the wool into a sweater, okay? God doesn't need it, right? And when it comes to you and I, our currency is dollars and cents. Let me tell you something. In heaven, so to speak, money doesn't have any value. So God doesn't need it either. He doesn't do it for him. He does it for us. The reason, just historically, you say, what did they do with all that stuff in the Old Testament? Well, for the most part, it was given to the priests. Okay? And you think, wow, hmm, ministry's not such a bad idea, right? You know, it was given to the priests. But let me, why was it given to the priests? Again, read your Bible. Spend some time. Ask some questions and get them answered for you in the Bible. It was because the tribe of Levi, there were 12 tribes, when they were parceling out the promised land, Levi didn't get any property. All the other uh, uh, tribes got it. But God says, don't give any property to Levi. Their inheritance is me. I'm going to take care of them. The people who, you know, uh, service the temple, they're not going to have their own plot of land. But I'm going to take care of them. That's what the tithe was for. But even then, I think it's reasonably uh, understood that they couldn't have eaten all that food. So out the back door, the poor probably went. 
most of that food anyway. But it wasn't about them, that's the point. It was a test to grow their faith. That's what it was about. It was a challenge to live a greater dependence. God said, I want it, not only the tenth, this isn't even that much, but I want the first fruits because in a sense the tenth represented the other 90. It was a challenge to learn what it means to give all of your life to God and to live in that reality. It was an opportunity to develop your faith. And let me say quickly, not only do we say, sometimes we say tithes and then we say offerings. Let's pray for our tithes and offerings. In the Old Testament, there was not only the tithes, and tithes, often when you look at the language in the Old Testament, it doesn't, they're almost, it says they're paid or they're presented. I'm going to present my tithe, I'm going to pay my tithe. Almost like it's a tax. People didn't give their tithes because it wasn't, it was, it was a requirement, a legal requirement. But the offerings, they're called free will offerings. And the free will offerings, it means what it says, it was a free will offering given from the heart. Those were not required. But there's two, there's many examples, but two famous examples in the giving of the offerings to build the tabernacle, Exodus 36 and 37, which we just read, if you're reading 365 with us, back to Alyssa's announcement in the list past week, and in the giving of this great offering for the temple. In both cases, they were overwhelming. In Exodus 36 and 37, Moses finally has to stand up and say, enough! Stop giving money, uh, materials, gold, and uh, we don't need any more. This was a free will offering. David had the same experience. The King David, listen to these words. Here's the principle. New Testament giving buried in the Old Testament. David says this as he's looking at this big pile of materials and resources. But who am I, David says, and who are my people? the Jewish people, that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything, this is the theological truth, discovering of a greater love, live a greater dependence. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Think about that for just a minute before you or I complain about anything in life. Is this your understanding? See, a, a non-Christian, a non, maybe, or a non-thoughtful Christian might never come to this conclusion. I got what I got on my own bootstraps, right? I am who, let me tell you something. Whatever you have, this is what the Bible says, whether it's your health, your hair color, the college that you went to, the family that, that you were born into that allowed you to go to a college, your, your, the, the, the air that you breathe, biblical theology, everything you have is a gift from God. Do you believe that? Or do you spend a lot of your life mad about what you didn't get, undervaluing what you did in some court of entitlement mentality, you're missing the whole point of life. David, who lived kind of a charmed life to a degree, you know David's story, he had some challenges, but he lived kind of a charmed life in some ways, picked as a shepherd boy to be king of Israel, but he comes to this moment later in life, this is the end of his life, everything comes from you. And David says, I only have what you've given me. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight. Let's talk about the human, human nature, human, human, uh, the human um, race. We are as were our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Here's a guy that's, 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 that's looking honestly in the mirror of life and saying, this is what life is about if we're honest. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. It all belongs to you in the first place. 
I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen, circle this word, with joy, how willingly your people here have given to you also. Okay? This is New Testament giving. In fact, all the examples of New Testament giving, every last one of them, there's only a handful, Acts 2, Acts 4, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Luke 19, every single one of them is beyond the tithe because they were free will offerings. It's the nature of New Testament giving. What Paul is referring to here, this, or I should say this is what Paul is referring to here. He's saying to the Macedonian churches, he's saying to the Corinthian church, he's not, I'm not commanding you so when someone says, well, the pastor said you must, that's not what I'm saying, that's not what Paul said. Paul says, this is not a command. It's a new covenant. You don't want to give a dime, don't give any dime. The person that loses in the end might be you. But he's saying, I'm encouraging you based upon their example. But here was what their example was. These two churches, Philippians, Thessalonians, Paul didn't even bother asking them for money. Right? They urgently pleaded with us. They came to Paul and said, can we give? Why didn't Paul ask them for money like he asked the Corinthian church? Because they were dirt poor and he knew it. They had a severe trial. He said, it's like you say, I'm not going to talk, ask so-and-so. Let's, let's buy so-and-so the, the concert ticket because they're broke. <laughs> you know, you're going out with your friends. But Paul's saying, I'm not going to ask these two churches because they're under a severe trial and they're broke. We're going to go to the Corinthian church. But Paul's saying, listen, they heard through the grapevine about this offering for the poor people in Jerusalem. They came knocking on our door. Why did they do that? Same thing, David answers the question. They did it because they understood this principle, living greater dependence. And they said, Paul, even though we're dirt poor, we'll find the money because we want to grow. We want in on this thing called faith. We understand that giving to God, even beyond our ability, is going to result in something bigger. Quick story. I'm out of time here. We did a campaign, many of you know this, called the Reach Initiative uh, Capital Campaign. Launched it in 2016. And that campaign ran 17, 18, 19. It's a three-year pledge. Just finished before the coronavirus. Millions of dollars. Uh, there was a couple in our church who gave a very significant pledge. End of 2016. Not long after that, maybe a month, they got pregnant. And it turns out, I didn't know this, of course, at the time, it was a complicated pregnancy. And not only was it a complicated pregnancy, but it resulted in the husband and this family over the course of many, many months, having to back off significantly from his job, right? So I've caught up with this news. Near the end of that year, I went to visit this family. So almost the first whole year of this campaign is over. And I went, to, of course, to see them, just to visit them, to see their, uh, their children. Um, but I wanted to deliver a message. The message was simple. Guys, I know it's been the most incredible year. I'm sure there's all kinds of expenses and I want you to hear from me, not that you need to, but I want you to hear from me that if you want to, you know, uh, lessen this commitment, even stop it, it's fine with me. I just want, or us, you know, we just want you to know that. And they said, thanks for that. But, what, but Rob, um, here's what you don't know. We knew, right, within a month of giving this um, pledge, we found out we were pregnant, but we knew in this case, isn't always true, and when you have kids or you're, you get pregnant, we knew this was, they were told us this is going to be a complicated pregnancy. So right away, we had a discussion 
almost a year ago, and said, um, what do you think about this pledge thing? And they said, we believe God knows what he's doing. We made this in good faith. We're going to keep that pledge. And we want you to know, thanks for the visit, but we're going we're to keep our pledge. And I said, okay, wow. And then I said, they asked the obvious question, how you doing? You know, <laughs> are you paying the bills? And he said, I'll tell you what, um, we're doing fantastic. And I said, how is that? Because I know the nature of this guy's business is if you don't work, you don't make as much money. He had been out of work a lot. He said, this is true that I've been out of work more than I've ever been in any other year. But he said, also it's true that this has been financially the best year of my career. I said, how? He said, I have no idea. Except that I believe God has, has, has proved faithful and God has taken care of my family. And I'll tell you what, I, not only admire, I was not only a, 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 admired their faith, but also, I remember driving home from their home, it also touched something very deep inside of me, beyond their example. And it said to me this, about their God, my God, it said, about the faithfulness of God, and I said to God, where in my life, what, what might God want to do in my life? I immediately applied it to myself. I admired them. What did, might God want to do in my life that he's not done or not doing? Because I haven't exercised that kind of faith, not just in my money, but with my life. I haven't trusted it. Many of you have ever heard a, money, a sermon on giving. Pastors often go to the end of the Old Testament. It's a good example of this story. When the, the prophet Malachi, this is almost the last verses of the Old Testament. And the prophet Malachi, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Malachi, and he says to the children of Israel, you've robbed God. And they say, how have we robbed him? And the Lord says, you've robbed me through not bringing in your tithes and your offerings. They did a great job, if you know your history of your Old Testament, Ezra, Nehemiah. They rebuilt the temple. They reinstituted the worship system. And if you read Nehemiah, they got off to a great start. But like the Corinthian church, they eventually backed off. And they started, they started no longer, let's say, supporting the ministry, supporting the priests. The priests, if you read the book of Nehemiah, they eventually left the temple and they had to go find jobs as farmers. And God says, you've robbed me. But it doesn't end on a negative note. And they say, now what? And he said, listen, test me. Bring the tithes and offerings that you said you were going to bring. Be faithful in your very small part. And see if I do not open up heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain, right? Discover a greater love. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, don't bother listening to anything I said. Don't write a check. If, you, if the love of Jesus Christ hasn't captured your imagination, go no further. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand the grace that has been given to the Macedonian churches. Jesus Christ died for you. He became poor, <laughs> all right? It's Paul's metaphor so that you might become rich. Until that captures your imagination, until that captures your heart, until you understand as David did, it took him his whole life to realize, oh my gosh, everything I have has been given to me by God. I've just, God has just filled my life with all of this. It all belongs to you, right? Who am I? Who are we? We're strangers walking through this world without hope. But thank you, God, for the generosity and the joy. And if you can understand that greater love, then start to live in a greater dependence. That's what the Macedonian churches were doing. He says, I'm not commanding you, either am I. Let me say this quickly. I'm, I know I'm out of time, but give me a few more minutes. I don't want you to miss this. Browncroft Community Church. I asked Mike, our, our XP, 
just run some numbers on us. We have on our, let's say, our, you know, our system. A lot, not a lot of people that come, maybe they're in the system. That is, you, you've signed up for something, QR code. 2,800 people. And these are not people, you know, that are, you know, moved to Toledo. We're not, you know, sometimes churches have these inflated roles. People that, that call themselves Brown Crofters, maybe they come once a week, maybe they come once a month, maybe they come four times a year, but this is, this is their church home. Of that cohort, 25% of them um, are regular givers to this church. Now, what, it's, it's an imprecise science, but what do I mean by that? They either give twice a month, once a quarter, sometimes people give a big chunk at the end of the year, but we see a pattern. We would call them regular givers to this church. We don't know if it's what percentage of their income it is, but I'm just saying they're regular givers, 25%. Now, of, with that 25%, here's what's kind of amazing. All our bills are paid, so to speak. And not only that, in the last 24 months, just during the coronavirus, this church, you, Browncroft, have given a million and a half dollars just in 24 months, has gone in and out to either missionaries or local partners in just the last 24 months, okay? With only 25%, you might say, well, Rob, if that's the case, what in the world are you giving this message for, (laughs) This church is doing great. Well, here's why. Because this message is not about paying our bills, right? It's about you, God, having more of your life and more of my life to work with. That's what it's about. God doesn't need your money any more than he eats your grain or needs your food, but he wants more of you. And if he has more of you and he has more of me, in these principles, let's call it tithing and first fruits, if I begin to exercise those principles more in my life, God's going to say, I'll open up heaven and pour out a blessing you can't imagine. Not because it's some sort of prosperity. It's not about things. It's about faith. That's what it's about. What God might do with you, what God might do with me. It begins with the discovery of a greater love. That's the heart of it. Start there if you're not a generous person. Second, it's about living a greater dependence. It's what the subtitle of this message. It's about giving money and discipleship. This is about discipleship. You want, what, is, what is the whole point of being a Christian? Some people might say, well, it's, it's, a, it's a ticket to heaven. No, it's not. The whole point of being a Christian is that you and I, over the course of our lives, takes time and and work and effort and faith to become more like the person of Jesus Christ, who not only was the Son of God, he was perfect humanity. You want to know what humanity was supposed to be like? Someone who had the kind of courage and grace and compassion and wasn't all ego-driven. He was, he was for others, not for himself. He understood that the fundamental nature of, human, of humanity is it's more blessed to give than receive. Jesus exemplified that. And with the point of being a Christian, you say, what's the point of this life? Why doesn't God just end this mess, end this trouble, end all this sorrow? There's a purpose to life. What is it? That you and I will learn what it means to truly love. That we would learn and become examples you know, true living, breathing examples of the principle that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the point of life. And you're not going to learn that by sitting on a beach with a beer. You know what I'm trying to say? That's not how you learn those principles. You learn them through facing your own fears, facing your own weaknesses, in learning to trust God more and more so that his life becomes yours and your life becomes an extension. It becomes an outward-focused thing. 
more than an inward-focused thing. Develop a greater love. Deeper, discover a greater love. Live a greater dependence. Become more like Jesus. Let me just end with a quote. I'm running out of time. The greatest book on money, I think, written by, a, you know, let's say a, 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 a um, theologian, uh, pastor, Randy Elkhorn. It's called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. It says these words. Giving is becoming more like our Father. It isn't just God's way of raising money. It's God's way of raising children. Right? Money is just one form of giving. But if you really want to become like Jesus, if you really want to know the purpose of life, the point of life, you think, Rob, I thought I've been, I've been, my whole life I thought the point of life was, was getting more money in the bank, you know, was achieving greater personal success, personal, um, uh, 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 acquiring more personally. That's what the world says. But how many people do you know, either personally or through, you know, uh, uh, biographies and, and who've, who've made a lot of money who are the most unhappy people you've ever met. Well, why is that? Money's not a bad thing, but because they've, they, they've believed the lie about the point of life. They think it is more blessed to receive than to give, and that's a lie. The truth is, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? And when you get a hold of that principle, it'll change your life. So let me say this. We're done. There, I've, this card's in the front, the seat back's in front of you. And thank you for giving me a few extra minutes today. What is the point of this? I only talk about giving as discipleship, I don't know, once every couple years, okay? Just like other disciplines in the Christian life. But I wanted to give you something instead of spending weeks and weeks on this. It's a guide to grace giving. And on this card, which you can take if you want it, is really, you know, a, a whole sermon series. But you do the homework yourself. Don't take my word for it. Guide to Grace Giving, and there's a lot of um, ideas here. You can do this as an individual, as a small group, and at the bottom, there's some questions. On the other side, because some of you are new to this game, the game called being a part of a church, okay, being a, a member of this church, so to speak, is how can you give at Browncroft, okay? And here's, you know, as you might know, this is kind of a corona thing, but we, we haven't passed a plate here in 25 months, and we're not, other churches are the same. Maybe we'll get back to it, but the point is, this is how you give. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. We love you. And Lord, I'm grateful for your, your, your work in my life, your grace in my life. I can say, although I have a long way to go as a person, as a Christian, that um, the grace uh, of God has been given to this person. Uh, Lord, you, 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 uh, you, you said to me in the person and in, in through the work of Jesus that there's no condemnation for me. None. Uh, my sins have been forgiven, not because I'm any better than any other person, but simply because I'm, I got wise enough, smart enough, or, 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 or realized the truth that you died for me, not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of your love. It begins there. And I thank you for that great truth. Help me help us to live a greater dependence, to know what it really means to follow you, to invest our lives, what we have left of them, in becoming more fully human, you might say, and becoming more like Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.